You are listening to the Heavenly Chi podcast, episode number 69. Today, I'm joined by Kath Berry, and we're going to be discussing the transitions that women go through in their journey through perimenopause and menopause and all the ways that that presents in clinic. Welcome to the show today, Kath. Thank you, Claire. And I have to say, it's so wonderful to hear the Australian accent. And you'll have to excuse mine. I've been out of the country for 15 years. So I have a bit of a mixed bag of an sort of an international Australian out of the country sounding accent today. <laughs> well, it's so great to have you on the show. We've had a few false starts over a few years. I think we've been, you know, in and out of touch and trying to find a time and it's um it's nice to finally have you here and to be having this conversation. Indeed, Claire, I feel a little bit like I'm following behind in your footsteps in many ways. You know, and I, you know, it's such a delight to finally speak with you. And and one of the first things I'd like to say is congratulations on printing a Chinese medicine textbook. It is something I had no idea how much work goes into the not just the writing of the book, but the actual administrative process of getting it from, you know, a digital document into the real world. So that's something that I, you know, I know that you've done unbelievably well to have done that on your own, and uh, you know, certainly in an epic, an epic journey. And I love, I love that I can sort of use you as an inspiration to follow behind. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thanks for those kind words. It's, um, it's definitely quite a feat. And um, and in fact, I went to a, I've done a, a couple of writing courses in the process of publishing, and then since. Um, publishing that book. And one of the pieces of feedback that I got, which was actually, um, it was really quite a a bit of wind in my sails, I guess, that writing a textbook for your peers is, is literally the most difficult type of book that you can write. You know, there's fiction, there's nonfiction, you, you know, there's all types of different genres of books that are far easier to write, but writing a textbook for your peers is right up there in terms of the most challenging thing you can do. So I feel like if I've <laughs> if I've um, achieved the impossible or not the impossible, but the you know, the pinnacle of um, of book writing, then there's no limit to the types of books that I can publish in the future. And so well done to you. You've got a book coming out soon. Um, Thank you, indeed. And, and the difference being, of course, is I've I've been working with a team. So to find out that you did that on your own is phenomenal. Because one of the benefits of working with a team is being able to bounce ideas and to have, I guess, a, a more dynamic, creative process. Even though, as you say, that the you know the audiences we're always benchmarking ourselves to be the you know the best evidence based and making sure that the technical information is is you know without a doubt watertight and you know critical critical proof as best as possible. Yeah. And so the topic is menopause. Menopause, that's right. Menopause, a comprehensive guide for practitioners. And what we wanted to do was look at the best practice of Chinese medicine and how that integrates with our Western medicine offerings. So, you know, it's been uh, an epic process to look at what's available. And, you know, just a few little discoveries along the way of realising that Chinese medicine traditionally didn't see menopause as an isolated syndrome. And therefore, there isn't really much reference in the in the classics. So, so the information that we're drawing from is from the last sort of fifty or so years, and that in itself, you know, being a little bit is it is it traditional Chinese medicine or how would we classify the the information that we're putting together? But the 
driver behind the book was realising there just wasn't enough information out there for practitioners, you know, that I found that was probably the most striking thing as a clinician to have menopausal women turn up to my practice. And I, I work here in Spain at a little island off the coast of Spain. And I'm a bit of a geek, so I even Googled it this morning. And Ibiza is one eighteenth the size of Melbourne. <laughs> so the city of Melbourne in Australia is 18 times larger than the island that I live on. So, you know, it just gives you an idea of you know, this tiny little beautiful paradise island. But what I was finding is menopausal women were coming into my practice. And interesting, Ibiza has a reputation of being a party island. So these women were coming in their mid-40s or early 50s coming in saying, I'm doing a lot of cocaine and alcohol and I'm not recovering like I used to. So I got really fascinated by that. My previous training was in, in drug and alcohol addiction. I did a master's in addictions. So I was really interested in this overlay between sort of drug taking and what happens in midlife and why, why would there be a change in a woman's ability to process alcohol or other drugs. And so, you know, I sort of got a bit of a peculiar inroad into looking at menopause, but what I discovered is there really isn't much information for Chinese medicine practitioners about menopause or perimenopause or the years proceeding after. Why do you think that is? Well, again, because because it wasn't really uh, recognised as a syndrome, we don't we don't have the traditional references to refer to. The other thing which I think is menopause is becoming a really hot topic. You have to excuse the pun, but it really is becoming uh, something that we're seeing a lot more of in, in mainstream media, for example. And we can speculate it's because as women in society have become more vocal. More education, more educated, and more have greater financial means. That what we what we're finding is a follow up of women now getting into their fifties and saying, "I've got half a lifetime ahead of me." Now, you know, women are basically really powerful consumers, uh, really powerful advocates, really powerful political voices, and I think that's what we're seeing now is that women affect, issues that are affecting older women are coming to the forefront off the back of that. Um, the other thing which I'm really curious about and there really isn't much evidence for, but we are understanding endocrine medicine a lot more in the last, say, 30 or 40 years, and particularly you know, female endocrinology off the back of fertility and IVF work that's being done. So as a result, you know, I feel like there's this body of scientific information that is growing and that I feel like the Chinese medicine community are you know, just trying to work out how we fit into that, what we've got to offer and, and perhaps you know, the frameworks for understanding menopause within a TCM or, or uh, Chinese, traditional Chinese and East Asian medicine, encompassing all the other med- medicines as well. Mm. And, I mean, so much of it I wonder as well, you know, if we think about women who are in their 40s, heading towards their 50s and beyond, and they're coming into our clinics and they have so much responsibility and there's so much pressure and expectation that they're they're working full time. They might have some kind of leadership role at the kids' school. They're, you know, they're organising the entire household. Like the, the, you know, there's so much, um, you know, discussion in media around just the mental load that women take tend to tend to be taking the lion's share of that mental load on top of their careers. You know, they're they're organising their children. They're organising their spouse. They're running the entire household and this, there's just, there's not enough resources left over for their hormones to run properly. 
And so as they're coming towards menopause, that's so much of the distress that we see in our patients. It's just that sign that they've just spent everything that they've got. There's nothing left over for themselves. Is that something that that um, that resonates for you or that you found evidence of that whilst you were researching? Absolutely, Claire. You know, you're, you're spot on the mark because one of the challenges is working out what's menopause and what's just this point in life. And, and what I mean by that is, as you say, there's usually uh, confounding factors like raising teenage children, uh, perhaps empty nest syndrome if the children have left home. There's usually caring for or grieving of elderly parents. Um, there's promotions at work or, or the, the paradox, which is actually not being promoted because of um, you know, perhaps gender dis- discrimination. So there's, there's you know, on all fronts, um, what are the other ones we see is uh, you know, around, um, it's often a time in life where people are getting a divorce. So that's a massive impact. And I'm, I'm in the process of mine. You know, I, I, when you talk about the, these women, I'm sort of nodding, thinking this is not just my patients, but at you know, 45, I'm sitting here in exactly the same situation. And you know, feeling it's it's what is it that what is it that is hormonal and is systemic within the body versus social, political, financial, emotional, sexual, all of these other things which are going on at the same time, you know, around the same time. So it is. It's a really one of the the most critical aspects is that the impact of stress on the body, as we all know. So in, and this leads us to now the most critical aspect, which is the role of the acupuncturist or the role of the clinician in helping women transition through this period. Um, I I think it's also noteworthy to just to put in also around the the driver of the wellness industry and, you know, some of the aspects of wellness being very much that the onus should be on women to to meditate and to do really well. So I, I always feel like we as practitioners have to be very careful not to contribute to the stress by saying things like you should not be stressed or stress is really bad for you because of course you know firstly we all know that second secondly it's you know not not perpetuating for women this idea that it's a, a personal failing if they feel stressed out by their life you know so so that's that's this um juggle as practitioners of trying to promote a healthy way of being without giving women the sense that they are failing if they're stressed, they're failing if they're not coping, they're failing if they feel overwhelmed because that's, that's you know, a little bit of a subtext to the wellness industry is, you know, buy this shampoo and if you don't then you'll be stressed and that's a, that's a personal failing on you. And, and I think, you know, one, one of the, the, the most interesting things for me at the moment is looking at women within society and, and you know, just... But this, you know, as, as a recording here in July, we're in mid-July 2022, just yesterday, the 13th of July, was the first time that the Pope in the Vatican has given a leadership role for women within the Vatican Committee. Wow. So again, I think, gosh, you know, it's, it's, it's epic, epic, but it's 2022 and we're only quite literally getting, you know, seats at the highest table. And I think that's something to celebrate, but it's also something to recognise is that women in society are always up against it, you know, that there's the, the, the stresses are real, that stress of not being promoted, the stress of taking on the kids and the school committee, as you said, this expectation of all the giving and that, that women are 
I, I still feel in a in a struggling situation. So I, you know, feel that's something to be honoured, you know, by the clinician to patients as understanding what is the context in which they've come to the to practice today. Yeah, and I I like the way that you phrase that that we can't just have this magical thinking around. Oh, I'll just pop my magic wand out of my back pocket and all of a sudden I won't be stressed anymore because you've told me to. We have real lives and these pressures are real and they may be invisible, but they're very real. And, you know, I think sometimes even just creating the space in their calendar to show up for the regular acupuncture treatment, as much as that's, you know, that's an expectation for some people, that's literally all they can manage. And, you know, the acupuncture does such a good job of just building in that stress resilience. All they have to do is just lie down and receive the needles in exchange, you know, like we don't have to feel like we've failed as a practitioner. If our patients come back in and said, I haven't taken the herbs, I've still been drinking alcohol, I've been, you know, eating a block of chocolate every night whilst I watch Netflix because I'm just not coping, but please just give me the needles. Like we don't have to discipline our naughty little patients. Um, we can we can just celebrate the fact that they're showing up for their own health care and we just work with them as they um, are able to make changes. I think that's exactly it, Claire, is it's really reframing that of all the things that you're not doing, which could be impact, you know, having a benefit. It's like just, just by being in the consultation by showing up for the appointment, that that is a huge achievement. And one of the other things which is really fascinating to have uncovered is that women's own attitude towards menopause will dictate how they transition through menopause. So, for example, you know, people that have a negative view of ageing, people who, you know, comment on, you know, that their, their body, all the things that their bodies are no longer capable of doing or, you know, putting on weight. There's, there's aspects of ageing which... If we can look at a, a way of helping our patients to simply reframe it, almost from a newer linguistic programming point of view, of you know, there, there is a bit of a general feeling up until recently that it was menopause was defined as as, as the absence of, of the menses and the end to the reproductive years. Now that in itself gives the idea that that's what women's purpose is is to reproduce. So, you know, it's it's really around reframing that and just seeing that as that this is an opportunity for women to have a second half of their life, a whole new chapter, and sort of being liberated from perhaps some of the things which have gone on through puberty, through childbirth, through pregnancy, and then as we see, menopause is another gate of life. You know, the, the gate of life theory is a really wonderful way for Chinese medicine practitioners to frame menopause for women. It's just saying you're entering this whole new chapter this gate of life and what you know what what are the benefits of that what what does this new life look like I really like that you've kind of brought up that idea of you know we're trying to avoid um you know, you know that's kind of like the end of our purpose and there's so much that happens even unconsciously it's not like it's directly spoken to but you know this idea that women shouldn't go grey and we shouldn't have wrinkles. And this idea of women ageing gracefully, we don't have so many of these examples in celebrities and in, in the media. As men age and as they grow older, this idea that they become wiser and that it's okay for men to be grey and they can have a few, you know, they can have a furrowed brow and it makes them more intelligent and more compelling. And Yet somehow for a woman, as she becomes grey and um, and gets a few wrinkles, there's a different undertone 
that goes with that. And I think it's quite insidious in many ways, but it's also quite refreshing, especially in the last couple of years that going grey naturally, especially with COVID and people couldn't get to the hairdresser for months at a time. People are just like, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to go grey. And there's just this fabulous movement of women who are embracing that aging process and going, you know what, I don't need to Botox every six weeks or every eight weeks. Like I'm just going to let my wrinkles show and I'm going to go grey gracefully. And I think it's so empowering and I really look forward to seeing how that movement continues to grow in the coming years and how we can facilitate that as well. Because that's, as you say, that that vanity aspect is really, it cuts quite deep for women, for a lot of women. That's, that's right. And I mean, Claire, you're absolutely right. We're sort of on this, on this new revolution of, of women um, showing up in society in a whole new way. And one of the one of the lovely things that we discovered in the book is there is there's actually a framework for understanding that, and that's um, in the in our scientific circles that humans are along with uh, there's only five other mammals that go through menopause, and what's fascinating is that the others are all whales. So in order to try and understand human menopause, we've been looking at our whale counterparts. And, uh, and through watching whaling populations, the scientists have come to understand this thing, the theory of the grandmother hypothesis. And that is that the uh, whales, for example, that the, the ageing female whale will stop reproducing around the same time as women, so around 40 to 50, so around the same time as humans. And that the theory is that it's to stop women having uh, offspring that are competing with the offspring of their children so that you end up in this, you know, ultimately it's just survival. And so the grandmother hypothesis is that the role of the grandmother is to play a, a very much a tribal leader, protecting the entire community, showing the young males, for example, where to fish and, you know, where to seek harbour when there's you know, inclement weather. So as a result, I, I love that idea that we can look and say that menopause serves us as women to become these tribal leaders. And we're certainly seeing that again in politics. We're seeing the rise of women in business, you know, the rise of women in the Vatican. You know, that's got to be celebrated. So, you know, really looking at how society is being influenced by women in, you know, in past that age of 51, the age of menopause. So I, I do think it's really fascinating how all these different industries and the beauty, the health and beauty industry, how that's going to impact on on uh, women's sense of what aging means to them. And as you say, that you know, men seem to age with gravitas. And women, we need to now really follow in that those shoes of being able to embrace the the, the leadership role, which also comes from you know, having more young energy. That, that you know, in terms of Chinese medicine perspective, and that that's something to really um, look at how women can show up. You know, at, at this other stage of life, once the kids have left home, or once you know, once they've, they've achieved their, their sort of certain role as, a, as in that homemaker aspect of saying, you know, what's next for our patients, and re, really reframing that for them, saying how exciting to have this whole new open canvas ahead. Yeah, and I like that idea of creating a new framework for the patient to move into, and just helping them to work out what those next decades are going to be like and what are the things that they want to bring with them and what are the things that they just want to change. You know, what doesn't work for me anymore? It's like an invitation to just rejig your whole life 
And I wonder, um, what can you share about that from your own experience with patients in clinic? Um, look, you're absolutely right. I, I, as I mentioned briefly before, the gate of life theory is probably the easiest for people to understand. So, you know, the gate of life where the, you know, the first entry is puberty. And so people understand that, you know, puberty is a massive time of transition and change and huge amounts of hormonal changes. You know, and then for, for women, there's usually pregnancy and childbirth. It's considered another gate of life if that's something women have chosen to do. And I think it's worth mentioning here for practitioners to understand too that women's relationship to menopause will change dramatically whether they've had children or not and whether that was whether not having children was by choice. So I think it's really worth um, just mentioning that the you know, research shows that women who have potentially had um, you know, fertility problems or miscarriage or stillbirth or problems, you know, not, not finding a suitable partner in time, that those women are far more likely to find menopause really traumatic so that the way that a practitioner would approach that would be very different perhaps potentially to somebody that has approached, you know, say, for example, has gone through motherhood. You know, the grandmother hypothesis marries really well for that, but potentially for somebody that doesn't have kids and therefore it, that's not relevant, then, then it's around sort of reframing this idea of independence and what that might look like. So, so it's very much, and this is one of the lovely things about Chinese medicine really, is that clinicians have so many tools to be able to support women that that the, you know, helping somebody understand themselves what menopause can be for them and then reframing that really positively. But certainly, you know, back to your question about what, you know, in clinic, the gate of life is by far the easiest to attach to. And one of the lovely things that you know, has come from teachings of someone like Julian Scott, as he talks about as a paediatric specialist, how menopause becomes an opportunity to throw out some conditions that a person might have for their entire life. So again, you know, as, as a practitioner, we can see this as a way of almost starting from a fresh canvas, as you said, Claire, you know, just being able to say, you know, how 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 can we look at this as an opportunity for change and use, using those menopausal, perimenopausal years as a bit of a gateway to older conditions, which might, you know, something like dermatitis or asthma, that we might have an opportunity to redress as a woman is changing physiologically into those menopausal years. Mm. Mm. There's so much opportunity for that transformation to proceed with grace or with with less grace. Uh, you know, the, if I think about the patients that I have in my clinic, there's also a, a, a quiet minority who tend to just kind of sail through menopause without really much fanfare at all. And it's really interesting for those women as well because some of them can often feel some level of guilt or shame around just having no symptoms and that they kind of need to be secretive about it because they could be, you know, they have, you know, the the whole, the mob, the the masses coming after them with pitchforks going, ah, how dare you go through menopause? It's like this rite of passage and you've had no symptoms and how dare you (laughs) kind of thing. Isn't that that so fascinating? And what we don't know really is, you know, what makes the difference? I mean, we can look at ethnicity, food, diet, as you know, alcohol and other drugs, but, but you know, it, it is, it's a really fascinating area of, of medicine because you're absolutely right. It's not to suggest that it's 100% uniform for everybody. And, and that's, what I, that's what I find intriguing about the medicine itself, that, you know, that it's just this, 
you know, d- different people sort of suffer at different times. The, some people, you know, will have symptoms much later, others none, or, you know, episodes of symptoms. So it's, it's really um, f- for clinicians to be exploring a whole new speciality. It's wonderful because it's limitless in what you can learn. The other aspect of that, and this is what, you know, I'm really intrigued about is how much of um, you know things like you know, people having IVF and fertility treatment. How does that affect their menopause? You know, how does things like oral contraceptive pill? You know, we're, we're, in a way, we're on this cutting edge of new science and new new medicines. And we haven't quite worked out what's the downstream consequence of these. So you know, there, there's all these other contributing factors too around um, changes to diet and stress and. Mm-hmm. You're just trying to get a real feed on what what it is that's contributing to having a very healthy, stable, easy transition versus one that might be really turbulent and really, really um, distressing for our patients. Mm. And it's and it's interesting too when we think about you know mainstream medicine still has so many questions. You know, there's there hasn't necessarily been a hell of a lot of research and money thrown at this question because you know again there's so many political reasons as to how money gets assigned <laughs> to research. But if we think about from a Chinese medicine point of view, and if we think about all the patients over the years that we've treated, and there might be some students and new practitioners here who are listening who may not have the same experience to draw on, but so many of these women are experiencing menopause. It's a magnification of the existing patterns of disharmony that they've already had. You know, if they've already had that pre-existing tendency to blood stasis, then it just gets magnified. If they've already got that pre-existing tendency to qi and blood deficiency or yang shu, yin shu, whatever it is, it's not all going to be treated with, you know, jibai di huang one um, and <laughs> kidney six and hearts and heart seven. Uh, we can't just, you know, give everyone that same protocol and expect to get good results, you'll probably get there with about 20% of your patients and the rest of them will be left wanting. Um, you've still got to do that pattern differentiation. But, if, you know, if we think about, um, we can tie it in with that question of, well, what happens with with people who've gone through IVF? What's their experience of menopause like? And I wonder if the research into that is going to be looking at, well, are we separating out the people who are doing IVF for male factor fertility versus the people who are doing IVF for female factors because that underlying pattern of disharmony, if there's female factors, is going to have a very different, you know, it's a very different demographic of people that are coming through that funnel in the research versus people that potentially didn't have anything wrong reproductively other than they were doing IVF because of the because of the male partner. I think there's... Yeah. So there's so much richness from a Chinese medicine point of view and so much of it you can't find. Like how do you do a, you know, so many people that have yang deficiency that come into clinic, for example, their blood work is perfect. There's nothing detectable on any any Western medicine tests. And so they're, you know, they're in the basket of unexplained you know, perimenopausal, menopausal symptoms. And yet it's like, well, you're tired, you know, you're run down, you're burnt out, you've got no resources left, you need to rest and eat and take some herbs. And, you know, like so much of what's invisible from a medical point of view is so obvious to us. 
And look, I mean, I would love to hear more about because because that's your specialty, also breeding blood tests. You know, that must be fascinating for you to have this incredible insight to be able to, you know, and and obviously that's you know the centre point of your book is helping practitioners to understand that as well. You know, I would love to hear more just about your experience around working with perimenopausal women and, and how their bloods are showing up. Yeah, well, yeah. Often there's nothing much to note. Um, if you look closer and you drill down, you might find that they're um, on their electrolyte panel, for example, you might see the serum sodium is between, you know, that low normal between sort of 135 to 139. Again, it's within the medical reference range, so there's nothing to see, but, you know, that shows up. If you're doing basal body temperature charting with these women before their periods become less regular in that, you know, in their early 40s, if potentially you worked with them through their fertility journey, you might have noticed a slightly shorter than normal luteal phase. You might have noticed that the temperatures throughout the chart might have been slightly lower than normal. Again, they're ovulating. They're, you know, they've probably had children. Um, you know, there's nothing necessarily particularly abnormal to see. Sometimes they might have slightly lower than normal, that like the platelets might be just below 200. They might have nothing really particularly shows up, maybe a slightly elevated TSH, maybe a slightly elevated, you know, the cholesterol might be just starting to creep up and they might even be on statins. And that might be all. That might be all that shows up. It's well, I, I just, yeah, I, I, I love that, you know, that this is as we speak you know, just realizing the capacity of Chinese medicine to step in, as you say, you know, the, the, as you say, these people sort of, you know, they, they fall off the page in terms of not being inexplicable, but then they're not feeling well. Um, one of the things that's really struck me in my practice is um, the things that the two things which come up the most. There's two expressions. One is not feeling confident, which, which again is not really. You don't find a lack of confidence as a symptom in a medical textbook. But that's actually one of the biggest motivators for people to want to do something. I've lost my confidence. Um, the second is feeling dead below the belt. Um, that you know that's been really interesting. It's, it's quite literally, you know, like, and people they'll draw a line from their belly down and say, "I've got nothing going on down here." And that's another, you know, from us, you know, we, we look at lack of libido, but that's certainly one of the one of the biggest drivers for women to want to seek change. Is saying I feel like there's this sort of you know just for, for some women losing the libido is. Um, you know, it's not an issue at all, particularly if they're not partnered or they've, you know, they had kids. Whatever they've come to peace with their sex life, having had a very, you know, flourishing period of time, and now it's over. Whereas for others, it's you know this really this feeling of anxiety. I've had women really um, distressed about not having any sex drive at all, and so that's that's been a really interesting area to sort of explore as well. Thinking, what's the motivator for women um, seeking treatment? And it's, you know, just certainly looking at the, again, around women and their sexuality. It's not something we speak about much in society and it's not something, there's a lot of talk about menopause, but menopause and sexuality, menopause and sexual libido is one that's sort of a little bit um, further down in terms of people's confidence or people's ability to feel feel that that's something they want to discuss with their medical practitioner, for example. And it's, you know, it makes perfect sense. So many of these women that are coming to see us, they're just so worn out. And whatever it is that, that their pattern of disharmony is from a Chinese medicine point of view, 
there's going to be a way that we can make perfect sense out of their loss of libido. You know, if if there's we we need to have the heart, the shen needs to be involved as well as you know the kidneys need to be, um, you know, need to have that sense of vigor and you know, if you've got some blood stasis that's obstructing the chest, like that's a really common pattern that I see in my patients. So many of them get shui fu jiu tongue and they're just like, oh, I, I slept, I didn't sweat, you know, I feel great. I don't want to like rip everyone's head off, <laughs> you know, and, and just opening up that heart allows the possibility for intimacy where if your heart is shut like a stone and you just want to stab everyone in the eye like that's that doesn't really lend itself to to the startings of any type of intimacy and you know and there's ways that we can think about all of those patterns of disharmony that we would see showing up in clinic is that what you found with um as you were going through writing the book and that's right even just having the conversation you know as we know there's so much there's so much therapeutic benefit of an acupuncture treatment which is not just the needles and for a lot of women it's called the therapeutic encounter it's being able to say I've got this terrible thing that's been on my mind and creating a lot of stress I'm going to say it out loud in an open and safe space and just that in itself is actually part of the medicine is saying yeah that sucks (laughs) and that's something we can talk about and you know checking in with women around that you know how's everything going how's everything in the bedroom how are you feeling you know are you masturbating how are you you getting turned on is it just being able to have fairly frank conversations and I feel it's it's not something as acupuncturists were necessarily trained to to do and and students listening today will know that it's not something you talk about necessarily at college but it's really important that you get comfortable in that saving that that really safe space for women to be able to say let's let's talk about everything Um, you know I mentioned a couple of times how women's uh, experience of childbirth or childbirth trauma can impact on the menopause that one of the things that women often won't talk about is terminations of pregnancy it's sort of, you know, something that might have happened for medical reasons or social reasons or an unexpected pregnancy outside of a relationship. So terminations of pregnancies can sit like little splinters festering in people's minds, festering in the soul. And it might be something they've never even spoken about out loud. But being able to have a safe space to say, listen, you know, we're going to be talking about all sorts of things to do with your reproductive years as they come to their final stage before you move into this next journey you know, is it, you know, have you ever had any terminations of pregnancy you'd like to talk about? You know, just putting it on the table. You don't you, have you had terminations of pregnancy that you would like to talk about? That gives a woman an opportunity to say no, as in no, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Not that necessarily no, it hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. But there's just you know, just just recognizing all these little elements of the medicine that we do is is not just the the herbal formulas and the the use of uh, acupuncture needles. It's being able to have a really honest and caring and kind conversation and potentially, again, with this idea that somebody coming through it, you know, in their 50s who this event might have taken place as a teenager, that's a lot of trauma that's been carried for a very long time. So, you know, really looking at these other roles that we can play and it's the, the almost the, the, the therapeutic relationship or the therapeutic trusts that we can form which can really help women through all of these things whether it's sex sexuality sexual abuse is another one you know in our book we talk about trauma we, when we mention these things how somebody you know childhood sexual abuse might show up all these years later so it's it's being able to feel comfortable as a clinician holding space for people and it's you know it's one of the lovely things that 
acupuncture or Chinese medicine or traditional East Asian medicine has always offered this incredible platform for engaging with another human being on everything. And I feel like that's something this is, you know, menopause is just another area that's a little bit undiscovered. That's something that we can all continue to grow and continue to learn how to better treat women as they're transitioning, but certainly just through better understanding of all all of the composite issues that make up uh, the menopausal transition. And that's the beauty of, you know, forums like this podcast and, and other platforms where we get to have these discussions and just kind of like, you know, pull out the richness of, of, of our medicine and the, the fabulous framework that we have to work from because, as you say, it's not taught in school and we don't necessarily come out as, as new practitioners or even if you've been, even if you're a well-seasoned practitioner, you don't necessarily have, have the skills or the confidence to come at these conversations with your patients to know what's the language I should use, what are you, like how do I approach this? And I think that, you know, just having lots of different examples of these phrases and these questions that you can use with your patients and just start to use them more and more in your consults with your patients so that you can have a trauma-informed approach to working with your patients on this level. Because as you say, the, the psychosocial aspects of Chinese medicine, it's not all just about, oh, well, if you've got some type of trauma, then this is the point, or then this is the herbal formula. Sometimes it's just about that therapeutic encounter can be just as healing as anything else that we have to offer. Indeed. And and, and again, this is what's so wonderful about being in such a unique role. And, you know, it's, it's particularly in something around the menopause where women are often going to their GP and that's sort of about it. You know, there really isn't much, you know, as, as you say, if they're getting their blood stone, they come back in, in the normal range, being told you're normal. And it's like, well, I don't feel okay. And so therefore, you know, being able to come to a clinician, you know, an acupuncturist or herbalist and say, this, you know, this is what's going on for me. How, what does this look like for you? And, I, and, and you know, it's so, so wonderful for China, for us to be able to just see things more clearly and just go, okay, there's heat, there's stagnation, as you say, just all the... Know, really obvious um, looking at how we might approach that and, and also being able to say to women this is going to take a while you know I, I think the other thing as well is managing women's expectations of you know this we're going to be this is going to be a six to 12 month plan and this is what I'm thinking this is what this looks like but for a lot of women that that gives a comfort of going okay I, I'm you know this is I for a lot of women, in fact, um, statistically, the symptoms of menopause and perimenopause last for around seven years. So when you're talking about a 12-month treatment plan, that's that's actually, yeah, it's really manageable. So, you know, just making sure. And the, the other thing which I think we can be doing better as a profession is engaging women in these discussions before they have these terrible symptoms. So I, I don't think we have done a very good job of telling menopausal women that we're good at this. I think that's something that that we as a profession need to start looking at how we can better promote our services to this particular group of people. And notwithstanding, it's a wonderful group to be working with because more often than not, women are consumers of complementary and alternative medicine. There's been a huge, incredible movement of acupuncture for fertility and for pregnancy. So we already have a bunch of 
patients who are already engaged in these conversations and it's it's lovely I just just you know uh, went out for dinner on the weekend and sat and you know people just oh, oh you're an acupuncturist oh I love acupuncture acupuncture is amazing and just thinking 25 years ago I started in 1995 no one even heard of acupuncture in Sydney at the time you know it was the first year it was being offered as a university degree and it felt really cutting edge and so now for I think our medicine has become mainstream and it, we're now having this luxury of being able to look at sort of specialist groups and fertility and pregnancy we've done well. And so now looking, okay, wh- who else do we need to start to look at as an audience? And I think our women, menopausal women, are a really natural fit, mainly also because of um, there's a lot of misinformation around uh, menop- menopause hormone therapy Um because of the Women's Institute study, which came out in 2002. So there's a little bit of a, we're working backwards with our medical colleagues who are trying to grapple at, you know, what are the long-term health consequences of MHT? And, you know, really we're just having to work out how we fit in as a profession as well. So it's it's a really opportunistic time for us to get on and make noise in the media, make noise in our communities, tell our patients that are doing really well to tell their friends you know, really make it clear that Chinese medicine has an enormous amount to offer people that are going through that those menopausal years. And by that, I mean from 40 through until sort of 60s. I, and I say that because really the best way for women to transition through menopause is it starts at 40. And we're, we're without a doubt seeing it's all the young shen principles of diet, nutrition, exercise rates really highly as a preventative factor, not drinking alcohol, you know, it, taking good care of mental health and wellness, all the things we already know. But what's wonderful is now that the scientific research is really catching up. We're seeing that in the evidence base as well. Mm. It's interesting that you mentioned this time span of like 20 years, you know, this 40 to 60 years, that it's a seven years on average that women will experience issues and that earlier we start with them, the better. It's it's kind of like, you know, that we really become their partners in in health through this journey. And, you know, if, if I reflect on my own patient base, you know, there are quite a strong cohort of women that I've had that have been with me through their 40s as they've hit menopause and as they're kind of making that transition. And they're just, you know, they just do so fabulously. And as you say, if you've got that really great relationship where they can come in and just go, oh, you know, like I just feel really flat or, you know, I've got this going on or, you know, you know, sometimes they do come in and say, look, my libido is just not great. And I really, I really want to build up the intimacy again with my husband. Just, you know, can we work on that? And I just think, yes, it's so great. Yes, we can. Yes, of course we can. It's so much that we have to offer when we've got that really great relationship because sometimes, you know, it can work the other way where, you know, if I think of a couple of my patients where, you know, things were tracking really well and we might have been working on sleep or we might have been working on digestion, then all of a sudden they come in and they say, right, well, um, just sort of let you know, I've just been to see my doctor. I'm now on HRT um, because... You know, I just haven't been coping and I went into, went to my doctor's office and I burst into tears and, you know, list all of these symptoms. And I'm like, wow, okay, I need to reflect on this because I didn't know half of that. And, you know, obviously for whatever reason, that wasn't part of the conversation that they were having with me. Um, and so I guess it, it kind of goes both ways that we need to make sure that our patients are aware of all of the things that we can 
help them with um, and also at the same time that we um, that we need to create that we need to create that space in the within the clinic for our patients to be you know to feel confident in our ability so that they you know because they're not necessarily going to reveal things to us if they feel like we're not going to do anything with that so yeah there's there's definitely been some growth moments in there for me I'm sure you know for some of the practitioners listening they can probably identify or relate to that as well but I and I also love what you're saying, you know, too about being able to retain your clients from you know from for a long time and just just making sure that they're aware that this is something that we can offer, you know, through throughout that whole process. That it's just that consistency, showing up, booking the appointment, turning up. And but yes, you're absolutely right. You know, it is. It's it, it, there's there's times when um, you've just been just seeing you know, being blindsided by the fact that these are clearly menopausal patterns that are going on without realizing that's what's ha- what's happening but particularly too there was I had one particular client who was in her mid-20s and um just it was on her first or second consultation had um yeah just disclosed a very early early ovarian cancer and, and she was a really difficult wo- woman to work with because I'd never seen menopause in a 20 26 year old Wow. And medical menopause, you know, and so just, just again, this was around the early stages of writing the book, and and here I'm in a deep dive exploration of menopause, and just thinking there's a whole bunch of people that that fall outside of the healthy natural aging process, you know, and looking at you know, breast cancer survivors, we're having, you know, there's all sorts of reasons why somebody might go through either surgical or medical induced menopause. And then, and then realizing that's again where Chinese medicine really has the most to offer because a lot of these women can't take hormone replacement therapy or MHT. There's, you know, that they, they really are left on their own. So that's, um, it's an area that I would encourage practitioners to really take up, mainly because there actually isn't much evidence for it. You know, we really struggled to find it's such a, a subset of the population that we find we really struggle to find Chinese medicine frameworks for understanding that Chinese medicine sort of you know protocols or sub you know I, I guess uh yeah formulas that we could apply because it's just such a, a new growing unexplored uncharted you know these women really are functioning sort of almost in isolation so that that's that's another group the the medical surgical menopause cohort, which I think are really fascinating and desperately in need of our care. And so great that there's a textbook on this because you you learned Chinese medicine before I did. I was studying in the early 2000s, but so much of it was just, you know, that we, we come out thinking that all night sweating is indeficient heat <laughs> and you can't, like there's so much more nuance to it. But like you say, that the amount of resources out there is so, it's just so thin, like it's such a sparse amount of resources for practitioners to be able to feel confidently equipped to treat with good results. Exactly. And to be, you know, I have to really clear this textbook is a combination of all of the great experts that we could draw on. So, you know, I was involved in running a menopause masterclass and looked at the teachings of the people like Honora Lee Wolf, you know, Peter Dedman, Julian Scott, um, Anastasia White, we, Giovanni Machocha's on there as well. So we, we, the, the textbook itself is actually not my work so much as a compilation of the of all of the material we could find available on menopause. And then the the greatest challenge was then trying to marry that with the Western medicine frameworks as well. So you know when we're looking at evidence based for Chinese medicine, you know we're really trying to understand 
what's best practice, you know, what are the frameworks for understanding it. And, you know, certainly I, I, it's been really wonderful to be part of a project which I feel really is the new frontier of medicine, you know, that realising that Chinese medicine is very new in the menopausal kind of sphere because it really, again, wasn't considered uh, in the classics that, that uh, we don't know whether that's because women weren't really vocal about what they're experiencing, whether women didn't experience as um, greater you know, impact on their life, whether women weren't actually surviving as long so that there actually just weren't that many people post-menopause in, in, in that time to be able to, the, the menopausal years, as life expectancy has grown, is that you know people are likely to live you know another 30 or 40 years past their menopausal years. So therefore, as a result, you know it, it has a longer, a greater impact. Women are becoming more vocal. And, uh, and, and the other part, of course, is that, that menopause isn't a disease. You know, it's a, it's a it's a transition through life, so therefore it it's only more recently we've come to medicalize the process of menopause, and rightly so. I you know I feel really strongly that I've been, been involved in a number of committees and forums where people say things like, "Well, it's natural," therefore, therefore you know why why are women making such a fuss about something which is a natural process? And we're looking at well, childbirth technically is natural, but you know we've we've come to realize that there's a fusion of Western approaches and, and Eastern approaches that we can get really good childbirthing practices, but this idea of, of menopause somehow being natural and therefore it, it therefore it should be there should be no sort of tr- no need for treatment. Yeah, what what are we complaining about? You know, we should just get on with our lives and just just shush. <laughs> exactly, this is it. The shushing up and the so you know so, so I I'm the shushing of women. That's yeah. <laughs> I, I mean it's. <laughs> I, no one likes to be shushed. Um, and, you know, we've been shushed for many hundreds of years. But, you know, if we think even even back in the Neijing, you know, we, we're talking about the, the seven and eight-year cycles and, you know, they talk about the arrival of, you know, the Tiangui, the, the arrival of the period, and then the, you know, the seventh, seven, you know, the seventh seven-year cycle, you know, woman turns 49, the Tiangui dries up. It doesn't say the Tiangue dries up and then she loses the plot or, you know, and then she suffers for another seven years of through desperation and sweating and, you know, like fatigue and insomnia. Like it doesn't say that. It just says, and then the Tiangue dries up full stop. And this is it. So you sort of the seven, seven years, 49, it's sort of a big fall of a page. I said, well, then what? And so, and that's exactly sort of my point is that, you know, Chinese medicine, we, we are rewriting what happens from 49 onwards. Mm. You know, that, that's that's what we're, we as a community of practitioners, and this is what our listeners today are at the front, you know, the frontiers of writing what happens next. And, and this is what we will be able to do is tell a really positive story is, you know, it just gets better. And you know, women become powerful. Women become leaders. Women get paid more. Women women travel more. Women become you know recognised for their creative abilities. Women make stuff, invent stuff. So that's that's what we really need to be telling is that forty nine onwards story. And uh, and I'm really excited. You know, I feel like I'm partly writing this for, for my friends and and for women who are my age and thinking we need to rewrite this story. And, and we need to really get on board and write it as a positive one. Otherwise, we, we are going to be put back into some sort of box where somehow menopausal women are considered crazy and unemployable and, and uh, you know, a bit of a social liability and just thinking, and so, you know, that's, that, that all needs to change and I feel that that needs to be addressed head on. 
um, as, as as well as the idea that you know these women are becoming sort of you know um, sexually retired. You know, so well you you no longer need to reproduce, therefore you can hang your libido on on the shelf. You know, for me it's really around sort of also wanting to really encourage women. It's like show up as sexual creatures and show up you know fully with a full appetite for everything in life, and uh, you know work out what that means. The, the creative aspect, the influential aspect, and that leadership aspect, I think, is really important. Yeah, I so agree with all of that. But I, you know, it's really there's so much happening within the world at large where there's there's just more energy and momentum that's coming around around gender issues in general, and you know we're we're calling out discrimination and we're we're coming up and saying you know what we don't we, we're going to step in here like we're stepping into our power and we're you know we're coming forward and you know we look at the setbacks like Roe versus Wade the overturning in of Roe versus Wade and and how much it's really brought to the forefront all of these conversations that have been brought up again and again and it's like we have to just continue to have these conversations around all of these invisible barriers that continue to push against that tend to push against women and to and whether or not we feel them you know, to a small extent or to a large extent, it's part of what we come up against in our daily life. We step out into the world and we've got a little bit of this pushback of the world as just going, just it would just be easier if you're a man. And we just, you know, there's so many of those barriers that we just, you know, we're seeing them dissolve away and we're seeing them disintegrate the more that we just take ownership and just step into where we belong in life. And I, I think it's really, um, I think it's a really great opportunity for us as clinicians to support those front runners, you know, those women who are still out there just going, yeah, we're just, you know, that we we don't have to do it in a testosterone dominant way either. We can be powerful within our own right without having to be aggressive or to be, you know, to have that kind of testosterone base. We can do it in a feminine way in that in that powerful yin-based way. It's magnificent. It's so super magnificent. I just got tingles hearing you talk. So it's, uh, yeah, it's absolutely, that's exactly where we're up now in 2022. It's an exciting time ahead. And great to have more, more books in the Chinese medicine libraries that are written by women. There's not yeah. enough of us out there who are, you know, educating the, the next generation of practitioners and who are writing the textbooks for the next generation of practitioners. You know, we have such a unique perspective on life and, and such a unique offering, the way in which we come at certain topics. There's just so much that we that we bring as, you know, bringing our yin perspective to things. And so I just think it's fabulous when I see another female author <laughs> out there in the world. On that note, I just wanted to acknowledge the incredible work of my co-author, Natalie Chandra Saunders, and, you know, that she's a herbalist and also um, Western medicine trained So as a result through pharmacy. So as a result, she's been able to bring this incredible uh, richness to the book, you know, as because my my limitation is an acupuncture only. So she's been the most incredible partner to be able to write this book with. But we also acknowledge that as two women that hadn't gone through menopause, we were really keen to work with 
uh, with um, Suzanne Cochran, who, as you know, is the editor of the Australian Journal of Chinese Medicine and a super wonderful teacher and educator in Australia. So I'd like to acknowledge the work of Suzanne Cochran as our editor. And also Brian Grossom, who um, is a co is authored his own book on menopausal hot flushes, which we thought was so fabulous. And that that's also available. But we, between Brian, Natalie and I, and we thought, you know, it's a man and two women that haven't gone through menopause. We really, we really held up to Suzanne Cochran to be able to say, you know, we, we really value that this idea of a collaborative approach to the, writing this book. And it's a, it's a delight to have worked with such an incredible team of clinicians. I feel really honoured. Yeah, it's amazing. And so I'm curious to know, what was your experience of, you know, on the one hand, you've got your clinician hat and you've got your your, your acupuncturist hat and then, then you kind of have to change hats in a lot of respects to be able to write a book and you've got to be able to back it up and you've got to be able to prove it and where's the evidence and how did you find how did you find that process um to be perfectly honest, I found that I found that easy to do because I did a master's an MSc in addictions years ago in 2000 in 2004 to 2006 in Sydney so I'd, I'd already sort of straddled that idea of this is what we do, but these are all the other reasons why this could be, you know, confounding, you know, non-therapeutic variables. Or, um, but I love that. I love, you know, the idea that of, of having a bit of a it's it's a critique or critical thinking or let's back this up. I think that that's something that is a really valuable process to always go through as a clinician is to work out I'm getting really good results. What what might be the other things which are contributing to these results, and trying to trying to really uh, disentangle all the different elements. So I love coming to Chinese medicine from a scientific point of view. I love you know and I think that again, even in the last twenty years since my masters, looking at how the science you know has evolved with organisations like evidence based acupuncture, some of the work that they've been doing, and um, I I really get a thrill when I find. Uh, ways to marry the two together and there's, there's times that it's more difficult but I you know one of the things we've worked really hard in this book to do is to be able to to hold it up to our western medical colleagues and say this is what we look like in 2022 this isn't this isn't all simply um the the traditional theories this is where the science marries together we put an enormous amount of work into the nutrition chapter for that reason as well it's just just really making sure that it was practical that the that the book has you know clinical utility for practitioners and also that it has its evidence-based you know uh, platform in which we wanted to keep it as um most scientifically relevant for the information that was available yeah amazing it sounds like it's going to be a really great resource and it's coming out at the end of 2022 is that right if if it's on time that's that's fine it's, it's been four years in the making so I'm always a bit nervous about putting a timeline to it but it has been a wonderful project it's been the most enjoyable four years particularly two because you know two of those spanned COVID where you know it was a really lovely project to be squirreling away in lockdown and thinking what what perfect way to make use of of um being sort of locked in our houses and doing research and buried in paperwork so I you know I have COVID to thank for potentially bringing this book to the market sooner because it gave more time to focus on this particular topic. And, you know, and again, just a huge acknowledgement to everybody involved, including all the guest speakers, you know, that, that we just, that the book itself is sort of this compilation of people's work 
and therefore you know, we just wanted to make it as as useful and and appropriate to all different types of practice. And we've got five elements in there: traditional Chinese medicine, it's very Western medicine, new diet, nutrition. So we really have tried to make it as uh, clinically useful to as many people as possible. Yeah, sounds great. I can't wait to buy it when it comes out. So, and, and again, you know, thank you for being the forerunner and printing these in, in your book as well. It's, you know, it's a lot of work goes into making a book. So, you know, just a, it's really, it's really nice to know, as you say, that we are contributing to the body of knowledge and just thinking, and one of the lovely things Natalie and I often, you know, the last four years have always said, well, if, at least we're learning something, you know, as women, you know, you know Natalie's in her early forties and I'm in my mid forties. Well, at the, you know, even if nothing comes of this book, because, you know, having this wonderful body of information, so it makes for great dinner party conversations. <laughs> oh, look, it sounds like it's going to be a fabulous resource for practitioners around the world. So well done. Well done on yeah. your impending book that is about to come into real life. <laughs> And thanks for being on the show today, Kath. It's been so great to finally catch up with you. Yeah, you too. And, I, you know, it's, it's wonderful hearing your clinical experience and your personal experience and just knowing, you know, that just even, you know, these, these sorts of conversations. You know, really thank you so much to all the people involved in Heavenly Chi to make these talks available and, you know, the, the incredible library you've got of all these wonderful people. I've loved going back and recognising all these names and being able to listen back on previous episodes. So thank you again to you and also all the people involved behind the scenes. Yeah, well, and thank you to for being on the show, you know, without without guests to come and have a chat with me. It'd, it'd get pretty boring pretty quick of me just talking to myself. And, and you know, thank you to our listeners because for for years, you know, there's been a couple of hiatus um, periods where uh, life has gotten the better of me, but um, you've continued to listen and so um, I do very much appreciate all the listeners out there. And, um, and we'd love to have your feedback on um, on this episode, any questions or comments, feedback that you'd love to leave for us. You can do that for us on whatever platform it is that you're listening to. You can give us a rating or you can jump onto our Facebook page and, um, and leave us some comments and some love there. We'd love to hear from you. Um, but until next time, let's say goodbye and um, I'll see you again soon. Bye for now.